Is Christianity a religion or is it a relationship? Welcome back to My Seminary Life. I'm your host, Brandon Knight. And on today's bonus episode, you get to hear a sermon from James chapter 1 looking at what the Bible has to say about Christianity being a religion and followers of Jesus living a religious life. So sit back and enjoy. If you have a copy of God's Word there with you, I invite you to go ahead and turn over to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Is Christianity a religion? Is Christianity a religion? This is a question that many people have had to wrestle with. Some people answer that very simply. Yes, of course it is. There's a place where people gather together to worship a God, a deity. They, Christians have a holy book. There's a way to talk to that God, that deity, through prayer. There's an afterlife belief. Of course, it is a religion. But many Christians would actually argue, no, Christianity is not a religion. It is a relationship. It's something completely different. Yes, we may have a holy book. Yes, we may have a place to gather together. But it's more than that. It's more than that. It is a relationship with God himself through Jesus. I don't know if you have engaged in this type of discussion or this type of intellectual debate. But when I was in high school, my senior year, going into my freshman year of college, this was a big talking point among my peers. At that time, this is 2012, 10 years ago. When did I get old? 10 years ago, a very popular video started circulating on YouTube called Why I Hate Religion But Love Jesus by a man named Jefferson Berthke. I probably said his last name wrong, but it's Jefferson Berthke. He is a Christian author and speaker. And in this video, it's a spoken word video, so it's not rap, it's not reciting poetry, it's somewhere in the middle. He talks about how religion is man-centered, but Christianity, it is Jesus-centered. It's not a religion. Oftentimes what we see in Scripture is Jesus going against the religious authorities, against the Pharisees, against the Sadducees, to proclaim a different method message. Am I fellow young theologians in college, we would sit around and we would talk about this. What is Christianity? Is it a religion? Is it a relationship? Does it matter? How does this affect how we worship God? Ironically, in all of our conversations, we never got to James chapter 1. Because here in James chapter 1, we're going to be looking at the last two verses of chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, the Bible tells us what is true religion. What is pure and undefiled religion for us as Christians? James is the epistle of James is written to a group of Christians. James is here believed to be one of the brothers, earthly brothers of Jesus. He has written this letter to a church that the main focus of this letter is all about faith without works is dead. Time and time again, he comes back to this idea that faith without works is dead. 
Meaning that if you have faith, if you believe in Jesus, but that does not affect how you live your life day by day, then what's the point? Having a real faith, a real relationship in Jesus should change how we talk to one another, how we act, what we think about. It should change our emotions. James talks about this over and over again. It's a very different book. When you look at the letters, especially written by Paul, Paul really deals with the spiritual life, the spiritual journey, and then talks a little bit about how you then apply it. James is very much focused here on faith without works is dead. Your faith needs to be producing something. There should be a difference in how you live your life. This call for faith without for having faith with works actually gave Martin Luther a bit of a scare. Martin Luther, the man who is often seen as the person that the Holy Spirit used to get the Protestant Reformation started, he actually was a little skeptical about the authenticity of this letter. But here it is still in our canon of Scripture. God speaking to us, telling us to have faith that works. And here in chapter 1, James talks a little bit about pursuing wisdom, gaining wisdom. And he talks about the importance of bridling our tongues. These are both topics that are going to come back up throughout this letter. But again, we're going to dive right here into the last two verses of, verse, or of chapter 1, starting in verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. May the Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. Is Christianity a religion? Is it a relationship? Here, James is addressing this as a religion. Christianity is a religion. And here, he shows three ways, for those of you who like to take notes, three ways that we can have pure, undefiled, genuine religion. Three acts Three virtues that we can follow to have pure and undefiled religion as Christians. Pastor Tony Evans, he would put it this way, so I'm going to steal it because he is a great man. He says, pure and undefiled religion is evident by our conversation, by our compassion, and by our conduct. Pure and undefiled religion is evident by our conversation, our compassion, and our conduct. And we're going to look at these this morning to see how we can have pure and undefiled religion as believers in Jesus. But before we get to those three things, I want to spend a little bit of time on this word religion. Because again, there are some Christians who are very opposed to this idea of Christianity being a religion. And yet, here it is, front and center, in our Bibles. What do we do with that? 
Whenever you come across something in Scripture that you may not necessarily understand, you have questions on, it's not very clear, one thing that they teach us in preaching classes is to read that text of Scripture in different English translations. Because sometimes when you compare how different people have translated the same passage, you start to get a fuller understanding of what that passage is trying to say. Or you get even more questions. It can go both ways. So that's what I did. That's how I started. This, what I'm reading to you here this morning is the ESV. I looked at that. I looked at the King James and the New King James and the NLT and the NIV and the NASB and the CSB and the MLNOP and the, and the message. I even read the message paraphrase, and even the Geneva Bible, and in all of the cases, this word from the Greek, threskia, is translated as religion, which tells me that's the word that needs to be there. But there are some Christians who would even raise a fuss there and say, well, what is it in Greek? What does the Greek have to say? Because, you know, sometimes these translators, they come with an agenda. Okay. So I took it to the Greek. Pulled out my thick Greek concordance. And I looked at it. And sure enough, there is an interesting nuance. There's an interesting connotation that comes with this Greek word that is translated here as religion. It's still religion. But... This word, the, the way that the Greeks would use it, they would use it when talking about following ceremonial rituals or having acts of worship in a church service. A English synonym we could use would be being pious or piety. Having this devotion to God displayed through rigorous acts of worship. So what we have here for us as Christians is James is laying out for us three ceremonial rituals that we need to observe. That if we are going to follow and worship God, we need to observe these three ceremonial rituals. And again, like other religions that have a holy book, that have a gathering place, that have teachings on the afterlife. They also have ceremonial rituals. They build shrines. They light incense to statues or to relatives who have passed on. But these three ceremonial rituals that we are told as Christians to follow have nothing to do with building shrines. This is really something that differentiates Christianity from other religions. Because it doesn't have anything to do with incense and shrines and chants or anything like that. It comes back to our conversation, our compassion, and our conduct. So the first thing that we see here, as we are living out our religious, pious lives in the world to worship God, is our conversation. Bridle your tongue. Keep control over what you say. James says here that if you claim to worship God, which 
I don't want to assume that everybody here claims to worship God, but there's chances that are high that everyone here identifies as a Christian. If you identify as a Christian, as someone who is believing in Jesus, who is a disciple of Jesus, if you claim to worship him, but you have no control over what you say, then your acts of worship, according to James, led by the Holy Spirit, is worthless. You need to get control over what you say. If you are constantly tearing other people down rather than building them up, if you are quick to gossip rather than to speak truth or to seek truth, if you are someone who is constantly sliding through dirty jokes or saying racist or homophobic things to your coworkers while you're at work the other five days of the week, but talk differently here, you do not have control over your tongue. And you're living in, in hypocrisy. You need to bridle your tongue. This is one way that it is evident that Jesus is in your life and the Holy Spirit is working in you, that it changes how you speak to one another. Are you building each other up? Or are you constantly trying to put yourself over to other people? So the first ritualistic act that we have here is our conversation. Bridle your tongue. Watch what you say. Value what, you're say, what you say. Your words have power and meaning. The second thing is our compassion. James writes here, that is the responsibility as us, as the church, as disciples of Jesus, to visit, better translated as care for, look after, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. It is our responsibility as the church to take care of people in their distress, specifically here, orphans and widows. But when you look at the life of Jesus and the people that he cared for and he kept going to, Jesus was taking the gospel, taking his healing to people who needed help, the disadvantaged. The church is called to follow Jesus and to take care of, look after those who are at a disadvantage. So it's taking care of the orphans who don't have a home who don't have a way to financially support themselves, who don't have love and protection. It's taking care of widows who may also fit in a lot of those same descriptions. Maybe they need financial help. Maybe they need love and protection from predators. But it goes beyond that. We are to take care of, to look after those who are at a disadvantage. We need to come alongside and listen and to support our brothers and sisters in Christ who are affected by racism. Way before the student loan debt relief was passed, way before the deferment took place, a Christian man has been helping my wife and I pay off our student loans because we were at a disadvantage. It's been holding us back from being able to do other things. In part, him being able to help us 
has been able to allow us to do things like take on the other burden of having a child. Many Christians, after Roe v. Wade was overturned, have started saying, now we need to support women. Now we need to make sure that women are being taken care of, that we look after single moms, even though the entire time this verse has been there. We have always had a call to take care of those who need help. As a church, as a body of believers, as disciples of Jesus, our religion, our religious life is demonstrated by showing compassion on those who need it. So the first ceremonial ritual is our conversation. Are we speaking truth to one another? Are we loving one another? Is our words seasoned with grace and truth? And then, it's, then we see it's our compassion. We are to show compassion on those who need help, who are disadvantaged. And third and finally, we have our conduct. We are to keep ourselves away from the world. We are to keep ourselves unstained from the world. The world, the culture that we live in, is obsessed with power, with wealth, with comfort. These are the idols that culture constantly bows down to, whether it's pursuing a career and getting ahead as much as possible or living out that American dream to buy as much cool things as possible or trying to find some type of comfort in food or alcohol or sex or binge watching, whatever it may be. People worship and bow down to these idols. And as Christians, we are called to not bow the knee to these idols. We are to keep ourselves unstained from the way that the world operates. These things that the world loves and pursues and wants more and more of. As the church, we don't obsess over those things. We do not bow down to those idols. We break those idols in our lives. Because as we just sang earlier, there is one God and we are to not have any idols in our lives. And when we break these idols, when we do not conform to the way that culture wants us to conform to, we are keeping ourselves undefiled from the world. We are living as Jesus has called us to live. Our ceremonial rituals look like conversation, bridling our tongue, watching what we say. It looks like compassion, caring for those who are at a disadvantage. And it looks like conduct, not pursuing the actions and the desires of the culture and the world outside of this place. But as Matthew 6.33 says, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Those are our priorities. Those are our prerogatives. And so for us this morning, this should challenge us to reflect and to think, where do we need to change? Is our speech seasoned with salt and grace? Or are we constantly tearing each other down? As a church, churches across the land, we need to prayerfully consider how we can 
through our ministries, through our finances, through our time, how can we help those who need it? How can we show compassion on a world that desperately needs a visible demonstration of the gospel? How do we show compassion to the world? And it should challenge us to break idols. It should challenge us to look at, take stock of our lives and to realize, yes, I bow down to this part of the culture. I bow down to obsessing over wealth and power and to break those idols to pursue Jesus. I invite you this morning, here in a moment when we close out in a song, I invite you to come forward to the altar and to pray. I invite you to come up and to repent of those times where you have let your tongue run wild, run loose, and tear down people. Tear down your fellow brothers and sisters. I, pr- I ask you to come forward and repent of that. I ask you to come forward and to pray for wisdom on how this church, how you personally can show compassion to people who need it. What are the next steps? Who should we care for? I invite you to come forward and to pray to surrender those idols of the culture that you hold on to and to repent and turn back to Jesus. Let's pray. Well, thanks everybody for listening to today's bonus episode. And remember, this is a bonus, so don't feel like you have to go rate and review or share the episode. This is a gift just for you. Head on down to the description of today's episode to find links to all the important subjects, like the MSL shop where we have a 50% off sale running all throughout this month. So make sure to take advantage of that with new merch drops every Sunday. So Go check that out if you feel like it. Again, all throughout the month of October, there's also going to be bonus episodes released every Tuesday. Last Tuesday was my sermon on 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Next week, you're going to be getting a lesson that I taught at my church's youth group on 1 John chapter 4. And of course, over on Saturday, we'll be continuing on with my Seminary Life's Leadership 101 series. Right now we're in the middle of the pastoral interviews on leadership. Great conversations. You don't want to miss out on them. Thank you again for listening. And remember, keep on studying.